remember later. I invite you to turn in the word to 1 Peter. And we are going to be in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5 specifically, but there's some ramp-up verses that we'll get. So if you just have your Bible open to 1 Peter, you'll be in the right place. As I've mentioned, we're starting in on a new series today called Body Life. And it's going to be just for the whole month of May, and hopefully um, it, will, it will be more of a habit for us in the springtime to talk about the elements of what it means for us as a gathered people to be the church. And so what does it mean in our day and age for the flock of Christ to gather together, to live together, and to pursue Jesus as a family formed by his grace. And so we're, we're calling it body life, and it, it's not going to be exhaustive. And hopefully the topics that are scheduled will be meaningful to us this year. Um, but we do want to see what the Lord's word gives us as we are to be formed as a church. And today we're beginning with the body is led. But there's leadership in the church. And the big idea for today is that by the grace of God, the church is led by those that are here, happy, and humble. And so hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 5, reading verses 1 through 5. And Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, good and holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your grace toward us, the rescue of salvation through the cross of Christ. And that you saw fit to give us Order that you saw fit to give us a way of continuing in this life in pursuit of Jesus. Lord, as we turn our attention to what it means to be led by elders and what elders should look like, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see it with clarity and to have hope that the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, will care for us no matter what. Be glorified in this place, Jesus, as we continue. In your name, amen. So by the grace of God, the church is led by those that are here, happy, and humble. And okay, I have to give you a trigger warning. And so parents, you may want to cover the ears of the little ones because I'm going to begin the sermon with a swear word. Hey, you don't believe me? Okay, here it is. Authority. How dare I? He cussed in church. He said authority. That all of my like little voices are going to be southern because I just came back from Nashville. So sorry if um, you're from the south. <laughs> so our cultural moment is one of uh, essentially widespread disdain for authority. Like, do you guys see that? Like, we just 
We don't trust authority. We're always suspects and at times appropriately because we actually find it easiest to only trust ourselves and not those that are in places of power or authority over us. And while I would like to think it's just a uniquely American pioneering instinct that we have, I I realize it's actually a human issue. Even from the first moments that a crowd is formed in history and people are gathered together and someone has to lead, there's been this questioning or this caution around authority. And perhaps it is ramped up in our age and it's something unique. Oz Guinness says that our modern world has shifted us from a stance under authority to one of preference. Or, expressed more carefully, our modern world tends to undermine all forms of authority other than its own and replaces them with the sense that all responses are merely a matter of preference. And so we're fine with authority as long as they agree with my preference, but everyone else is out and I can't trust those authorities. And so all you have to do this morning to think about it is name that thing in your head that you are most unsettled about. Maybe it's like education choices or healthcare choices or tax policy or the Giants losing to the Padres. Whatever it is, that's not really an authority question. I just want to get that in there for Roger. He's not even in here right now, so it's okay. But whatever that is, that thing may actually be the thing that you've wrestled with a lot because you are questioning the prevailing authority. You're unsettled by it. And while the church is meant to be unique, but very much is part of our current culture of distrust, we actually, in the church, find ourselves facing this trickle down of disdain for authority. And to be honest, the church, global, has had more than its share of bad leadership that should make us cautious. But as we study scripture, our highest authority in the church is the revelation of God. We actually come to recognize a Christianity that not only has tenets or core beliefs that are countercultural, but it also has then a lifestyle that is meant to be countercultural. So what we honor and who we honor and what we submit to is countercultural in Christianity. I think First Peter presents a progression that is helpful for our purposes in this series on the church. And I think it's a handy little letter. It's great um, to read and be encouraged by. And I think just by itself, it would carry the modern church forward quite a bit in what we are to believe and how we are to live. And the Apostle Peter penned this letter from Rome, where he was, to these dispersed churches in Asia, or think of modern-day Turkey. And these were a Gentile exiled people. They were believers that were run out of their old homes because they believed in and worshipped Jesus. And they faced constant persecution. There was economic persecution, physical persecution, and psychological persecution as their families disowned them. And Peter's writing probably between 62 and 64 AD, and we know that Nero is the emperor of the Roman Empire. And so you can get a flavor for the persecution. We know who Nero is. We know how harsh he was. Too, I missed something. That's okay. I'll hear about it later. But so he's he's not a good emperor. He's not a good authority. And so there's this 
natural inclination to even be concerned with him. Yet Peter commands the church to faithfulness under opposition. And it's not just for the collective body, but it's as individuals, as a body formed by Christ, and then as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. And he starts off in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is what you own individually as somebody who belongs to Christ. You have this inheritance that is imperishable. You've been brought in through the resurrection of Christ. It is going to be undefiled, unfading, and it's going to be kept in heaven for you. You will be with Jesus for all of eternity because you belong to him. That's a glorious truth for us as individuals, saved, born again, and now called to something more than what we experienced before. Verses 13 and 14, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So as individuals, you are not only given this great inheritance, you are now empowered to live obediently, no longer um, set aside, you're too set aside, those former passions, the former things of your former ignorance. And you become conformed to Christ rather than to the world. And then in that individual reality of your life in Christ, Peter makes it clear that you're not to go it alone. This is our call to worship. For those of you who couldn't hear on the live stream this morning, this is 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. And he says, as you come to him, this is to the church, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, you're meant to be an individual brought into a body of believers that is being built up into this spiritual house, and you are given purpose and belonging. Verses 9 and 10, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you're not left just as mere individuals saved, but you are actually now part of a people. You're brought into a flock. You are made a sheep with other sheep. And then as a body formed, as a spiritual house... We live as citizens, prioritizing the kingdom of Christ, but we remain then good citizens of our current place as well. And here's where authority enters into the picture. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, but or be subject for the Lord's sake, for his glory, 
to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so we, we might want to discard Peter here. Like, Peter, everything you've said up to this point is great. Like, I'm just going to believe that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling to that. But this, these two sentences, like, I can't handle that. Because how dare you say that I'm to be honoring the emperor? He's, he's talking about Nero here, right? Like, Nero is not a friend of the church, right? He didn't need Christians to get elected. In fact, he would... Um, decapitate them and set their heads alight to light the streets. So this, this is not a good guy, but this subjection, this interplay with authority is those ultimately under the authority of King Jesus. It, it extends to our families and to the church as a people suffering opposition. And as Peter says, as we are the body of believers stewarding God's grace. But then his letter ends, after he sets this, he gives you this piece that you want to set aside because he said, honor the emperor. But then he ends with this exhortation to the shepherds, to the leaders of the church. And it's where we find our text today and the clues about who is meant to lead the body. He talks about elders called by the, the name of the office or the role of those that are leading the church. And it's a typical form of leadership in the New Testament. It's not like Peter is being unique here. And so we can trust that this extends to Paul's writings as well, because he talks about elders and the, the church's formation, as we see in Acts, has eldership at play. And they are called elders. That's their office. But shepherding is what they do. They feed and watch over the flock. They nurture, they lead and protect. And I have to let you know that it is just a tad bit strange to preach about the work that I am supposed to do and how I am supposed to do it. But it is for the flourishing of the church, for us and our benefit, that we understand the design and the function of the body, like what we're supposed to look like, who we are supposed to be. And by the grace of God, the church is led by those that are here, happy, and humble. So we start with here. Now, when Peter references the elders among you, he's actually highlighting that elders or pastors in the Latin translation are sheep. Just like everyone else, they are sheep, but they are part of the local body of believers. They are elders among you, part of you. And Dave Mathis says that good pastors are first and foremost sheep, and they know it and embrace it. Pastors do not comprise a fundamentally different category of Christian. They need not be world-class in their intellect, oratory, or executive skills. Let me repeat that for those of you that want to evaluate me, right? No, I'm not going to repeat it. They are average, that 
I'll take it, normal, healthy Christians serving as examples for the flock while among the flock as they lead through teaching of God's word and making wise collective decisions. Their hearts swell to Jesus' charge in Luke 10, 20. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And their first and most fundamental joy is not the God, what God does through them as pastors, but what Christ has done and does for them as as Christians. So this, is, this is who we are as elders. We are just sheep. We are, other, we are Christians just like everyone else. Normal, average people that have been saved by Jesus, rescued by Jesus from our sin and given new life in him. And so being sheep ourselves, pastors then are present. They are here with the congregation, the body of believers. And friends, you have to know proximity matters. Because while there's benefit and some expectation, even in the New Testament, of teaching and leadership from afar, I mean, this is Peter writing to people that are quite a distance. Paul and his epistles are from a distance. But elders are among the body. Shepherds are present with the flock. And the word among here is often looked over, glanced over in some of the older commentaries of First Peter. But I think it's becoming vital again in our day. The, because the pull of accessible content online is real. And there is a lot of really good stuff out there. There is refined stuff. The best that the church global has to offer. But it is not among. Now, I've had so many conversations where I've encouraged people toward participation in the life of the church. And often the response I get is, but I get enough preaching online. Which tells me that first we need to do a better job of teaching and modeling that shepherding is not merely filling the pulpit. That there is more to what we do in the life of the church than just gathering around to hear somebody talk for 35 minutes. But the New Testament actually gives us a model of a life lived together seeking Jesus and living as citizens of his kingdom. It certainly is done in gathered Sunday settings together, but among also means it happens over dinner tables, in our homes, it happens in our workplaces, the hanging out spots for the flock. And so first, elders are here to see the sheep, to see the work of the Spirit in your lives, to the things that you trust in and the way you love your neighbors. And that can only happen when the elder is here, when they're present Last week, our family went to Bates Nut Farm for a, a car show because we, we like old cars and my in-laws are in town. But they also, at Bates Nut Farm, for those of you who haven't been there, they have this small petting zoo where you can feed some barn animals. There's goats, donkeys, really cute pigs, and they have sheep. And as we were feeding the sheep and see, seeing some of the brand new kids, some of the, the young sheep that uh, were new to life, I noticed that the sheep needed shearing, right? Their hair was awful. Their coats were uneven and the, it, it looked unhealthy. Like they needed to just be shaved down so they could grow back up again. And I don't think I would have noticed even that reality, even from across the field. I could have been within some proximity, but not close up. I wouldn't have seeing how bad the situation was. I had to be next to them. And that, this is pasturing. We have to be next to each other so that we can see how we live, where we're placing our trust, where we need more hope of Jesus. So the elders have to be here 
to see the sheep, but they also have to be here to hear the sheep. And this is something profound in the way that the sheep actually learn the voice of their shepherds. And Jesus will use that image for us with him. But I think it's also important for the shepherd to learn the voice of the sheep. And the cries they make when they're in danger or afraid, the noises they make when they're rejoicing and excited. You guys know that my favorite child is Jones. I'm kidding to all my children listening um, here and online. But so Jones is our, is he 14? I only 14 year old now. Boston Terrier, Beagle Mix. He is he's deaf. He cannot hear me. Um, almost deaf. If we clap really loud, he, he can start. And he's going a little bit blind. Um, but Jones is very verbal. And so Stacy and I were in Nashville for four days this week. And when we came home, Jones is letting out these whines that are, if you didn't know Jones and you were just outside, you would think someone was beating this dog, right? It would be bad. But if you know Jones, it was him in joy telling us everything we had missed over the week and how glad he was that his favorite humans were back. Right? But if you didn't know, you would think it was pain. And so there's something to hearing the cry, knowing the voice of the sheep. We can only see so much, even up close. And let's be honest, we're, we're wearing masks because we have to, but even when the government doesn't mandate that you wear masks, we sometimes wear masks, right? Those metaphorical masks that keep appearances well, so we need more than just an appearance. We actually need the conversation that we would know how to care for the body, how we need to protect the body, how we need to celebrate the body. And we do that by hearing the sheep. But elders are also here then to feed the sheep. Now, feeding is preaching, but it is also so much more than that. This is the, the share meal that we have on Sundays, but other ser- servings come in different ways. It's just the other places that we open scripture together. It is the uh, environments in which we pray with the flock together. It is listening and responding with the grace of Christ as we talk through life together. It, it might be helpful for you to think of those far away or internet sources of feed, those famous internet preachers, essentially is fast food. Highly processed and consistent. And there, there's often a flavor in it that we might even enjoy. And I, and I want to partake in that on occasion. But if that is all we eat, we can actually end up really unhealthy. Right? But a good shepherd sees the results of the diet they are giving and adds the needed ingredients with the Spirit's help in the local body of believers. So hopefully as elders, we we can see if there's not enough fiber, then we decide to feed the flock some more of the foundational truths of Christianity. Or we see that the body doesn't have enough energy, so we we feed them some sugar, the, the recounting Christ's heart toward you that might carry you through, give you the pep that you need. Or we recognize that you don't have enough iron, so we just hit you over the head with a cast iron pan. That's it. We just get physical, right? I don't have a good description of what is a cast iron pan when it comes to theology or teaching, so you figure that out. 
But honestly, being among the flock is one of the key reasons that even as Reservoir Church, we prioritize smaller congregations because a, a few hundred people and beyond that, it, it gets too hard to be present, to see, to hear, and to feed the flock well. So elders are here. As the body, then, we respond to their presence by gladly being seen, inviting them into our lives, in being heard, moving beyond just the pleasantries into real experience. And it might be over coffee or smoked meat or just enjoying life together. And then we desire to be fed. We come hungry. We are looking for the local diet that the Lord desires for his body. So elders are here, but elders are also happy. And did you notice this one? And in 1 Peter 5, 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So elders are willing. And it's true, so many serve out of duty or even perceived need, but when it's not willingly done, the church is actually in danger because giving oversight, watching, directing, guiding the body is all to be done willingly as God would have you, Peter says. And I chose to call this one happy on purpose, and it was more than just needing an H word to make it all fit. But eagerness or willingness, it represents this fervor or hunger in these words. And there's a desire that I think is actually supposed to be rooted in joy. Now, this doesn't mean that the elders are always smiling or giddy because working with sheep is not always easy, but it means we recognize the privilege and honor it is to care for those that belong to Jesus. One writer says, how remarkable the pastoring from aspiration and delight, not obligation and duty, would be as God would have you. This is the kind of God we have, the desiring, not dutiful God, who wants pastors who are desiring, not dutiful pastors. Such a happy God means for the leaders of his church to do their work with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to the people. So it must be a joy that I think is found in our justification in Christ. Remember, we are among the sheep. We are other believers that have come to rejoice in that our names are written in his book of life. It comes from our anchored life in Christ. Having a good relationship with Jesus, not only for us as individual Christians, but then as elders, will carry you through a lot of difficulty in life. And it's to make us happy in him. Peter also gives us some great clues for the health of the body. The elders would lead not by domineering or being controlling, harsh, or lording over people, but instead as examples to the flock. Now, we are not so naive uh, to turn a blind eye to the ways that this exhortation has actually gone unheeded in even the modern church. We all know a pastor or two who's got too big for their britches and thought they were pretty cool. They become that hard-nosed coach that's willing to cut those who can't perform, or they grow tired of sheep that need more attention than their golf schedule permits. Right. Or those that cover up abuse or harm in the church in order to protect their own little kingdom. Like, those are people that are getting it wrong. They have not heard this exhortation. 
And I, I get it. I am wired in such a way, and many of you know this about me, that I think I actually have the best strategy. I have the right opinions. And if people would just do what I say, everything would be better. It's true. Right? You should try it. But so... Just given that of my personality, I understand the slope that then leads to domineering. And this is why at Reservoir Church, we have a structure in place that has helped to protect against that slide into domineering. And to be honest, like domineering, being harsh with people, that way is not happy. Instead, elders have joy in Christ. They don't lord it over the people that are actually their peers. They do it happily, eagerly, willingly, not domineering. And elders lead as examples, meant to show what it looks like to follow Jesus as we lead and live. So as we watch the sheep, so the sheep watch us. You are meant to see as elders our way of life, what we value, what our priorities for life and our families are, how we love and serve our families, our neighbors, and even our enemies. The happy elder is eager to be exposed and seen by the sheep, living life in reliance on Christ, that you may notice that about us. It does not for one second mean we are sinless or sure of ourselves or sure of our theology all the time, but it does know that we know where to go. We know the one who has the words of life. And even in the context of suffering, there's supposed to be a Christ-modeled willingness to face it. As he took on the cross for us, we take up our crosses daily and follow him. And the elders should be leading that, modeling that, being an example of that in the church. And elders are happy as they shepherd. We, as the body then, see them as they live. Like we should be paying attention to our elders. We hear them as they reveal their hearts and invite us to follow Jesus together. We eat the food they prepare for us and we enter into then, hopefully, the same joy that they find in Christ. So elders are here, elders are happy, and elders are humble. And before we have to add long-winded to the description of elders, let's close it out with humility. And Peter writes, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To be humble is a call here to all of us in the body of Christ, but first to the elders. And Peter puts himself in the company of pastors in this section, and I'm really thankful for this because Peter has not been perfect in his following of Christ, right? If you've been a Christian a while, you know some of Peter's story. He has denied the Lord In his past, he has been wrapped up in bad theology that Paul has to confront. But the Lord has still used him. And he's learned in ministry this humility that he models for those that are called by Christ. And so we see that elders here are under shepherds, under Jesus as our chief shepherd, keeping us from then establishing our own empires. This is not the kingdom of Jonathan Schrader or Scott McCarthy. This is the kingdom of Christ 
for who we are mere under-shepherds. And we serve the true king with eyes to that future crown of glory, humbled that he would save us and use us to care for his prized possession, because that's who you are, sheep. You are Christ's prized possession. Eugene Peterson uh, wrote that when we humble ourselves, we operate from a position of strength. We know that other people are loved by God and therefore objects for our concern. When we become leaders, then it is simply to lead people to Jesus and to share his love with them. And that can only happen when we have been humbled by the grace of Christ for us. This is where elders are that picture of a bellwether, that, that big sheep that leads the crowd of sheep wearing the bell. That, that clangs as they walk and everyone knows which way to go to follow the shepherd because they hear that bellwether. It's not meant as elders, it, and Scott, you need to realize this, it's not meant to be glamorous or plastic as a lifestyle. It is meant to be ordinary and earthy. Because life as sheep leading sheep, we are rescued by Jesus, empowered by his spirit, and commissioned to disciples others in the same things that we are being discipled in. So elders are humble and immovable from the goodness of God in Christ. We cling to that, and then it frees us to take people seriously just the way they are, because we have been rescued in the same way. One preacher says that good pastors, therefore, are secure in soul and not blown left and right by the need to impress or prove themselves. They are happy to be as a normal a Christian as possible, modeling mature, healthy Christianity, not a cut above the congregation. And, and that should be the way for all of us, not just elders, because humility Peter says here, is for the whole church. Those younger in years and spiritual maturity are subjecting themselves or ourselves to the elders, to their care, nurturing, and direction. And all of us then are clothed in humility toward one another because we've been saved, called to something more, built into a spiritual house and waiting on the Lord. Just a, a few verses later, Peter will say, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So flock, live with all humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And given grace, he has, right? We have received such an abundance of grace, and we get to rejoice in it. So by the grace of God, the church is led by those that are here, happy, and humble. And the way we approach authority reveals how we submit to the highest authority. And the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of life is as we hear from Scripture, the fear of the Lord, awe under God, submission to his authority, to the authority of his word and the authority that he has put in place to lead those that he has rescued for his glory and for our good. So this is who our elders are committed to be. And this is the church that we are committed to be. May we model it well that the world would see where our hope truly lies. 
and that we would have joy in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you do not just save us and say, now you're on your own, figure it out. That you have given us structure, you have given us a body to belong to and a family to call our own. And for all of our humanity and our ordinariness that you still call some of us then to be those that lead other sheep in our pursuit of you. We don't take this lightly at Reservoir Church and we ask, Lord, that you would empower our elders to live this present, happy, and humble existence that you would be glorified in our body. And Lord, that you would rid us of um, a disdain within the church for authority, but recognize ways in which we can build and um, respect proper authority, that we can humbly come before you, serving each other and lifting your name in your way high, that others may follow and be part of your family. Help us in it for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.